We're looking at Joshua chapter number two. You remember we go verse by verse, chapter by chapter here at Riverside. And tonight is no different. But before we get it started, we got a couple of announcements. Don't want you to forget coming up on September the 13th here at Riverside. As far as we know, because, you know, there's hurricanes off the coast and it is uh, 2020 that anything could happen. But for right now, we are planning to still have homecoming September the 13th, starting at 930 with the Powell family here at Riverside. This will be an inside as far as we know, service, we will be having the Powell family and then yours truly will be preaching. Now you might say, well, I don't know how that's going to work out tonight. We're meeting at Drive-In Style. Well, your safety is our number one concern here at Riverside. We're going to have church. Amen. We're going to have church. Our job is not to protect you from the flu, but to protect you from hell. And we're going to preach. The preacher's going to preach and we're going to have service. But I'm glad you're here tonight. But we'll take it one day at a time. You might criticize. You might not like the way things are going. But let me assure you, your preacher and your deacons have never been a part of anything like this before. So be honest. We're doing the best we can. And we covet your prayers. And we ask you to not only just pray for our leadership at our churches, but pray for our families. Pray for us that we will be uh, we'll be faithful to what God has called us to do. That we will stand and adhere to his word and stay faithful to God's people and protect them as best we can. So I'm glad you're here tonight driving service. And, uh, and I'm glad. I, I want to just go ahead and tell you I'm glad. I'm glad to be preaching tonight. And we're going to get started here just in a moment. But I want to remind you that the Caitlin fundraiser has been postponed. Don't forget about that. That's going to be postponed to a later date. I did here there was a date but I have not heard yet the exact date so I won't make that announcement I'll probably have that more information come Sunday but grab your Bible turn all the way over to Joshua chapter number two tonight we're going to be studying and we're going to use our Bibles. We're not going to be using a self-help book. We're not going to be using a New York Times bestseller. But we're actually using the Bible tonight. You might say, well, why in the world would you do that? Well, we use the Bible here at Riverside because we choose to believe the Bible because it is a reliable collection of historical documents written by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses. They report supernatural events that took place in fulfillment of prophecy. They are divine, not human in origin. We here at Riverside believe in sola scriptura. Torah, which means that we believe the Bible is our highest authority. We don't believe that the government, we don't believe that the deacons, the preacher, the choir, the congregation, the culture, the denomination, our political affiliation has the highest authority in this church that the Bible is the final authority and that's God's holy word. We also believe in sola fide, a Latin phrase that means faith and faith alone. Scripture tells us about faith and faith alone and we'll study that tonight with the story of Rahab but faith and faith alone means faith it means trust and confidence and you must have faith and confidence in something and that something is rather a someone and his name is Christ and we see that in Latin in sola Christus sola Christus means Christ in Christ alone Christ all by himself nothing but Christ just give me Jesus preachers what you're saying Christ in Christ alone and Jesus always pours out grace upon his people and that is a Latin phrase called Sola Gracia. We here at Riverside are here and love grace because grace is not a reward for the righteous, but it's a gift 
to the wicked. The Bible tells us that we're saved by grace alone and grace alone. Like the, the song, the amazing grace that we sing, it, it, it's singing about me. For I'm the wretch that the song refers to. And all of this culminates into one simple phrase called Sole Deo Gloria, which means for God alone receives the glory, that God receives the glory for this church existing. God receives the glory for you coming to church tonight. God receives the glory whenever you uh, have your final breath or the, or the Son of God breaks open the eastern sky and then we are taken out of this world and then the sinner is cast into to eternal damnation. God will receive glory in either case because all of creation, all of creation is to bring God glory. So I'm glad you're here tonight. Open up your Bible to Joshua chapter number 2. Share with somebody. If you're sitting in the car and you're by yourself, make sure you got a copy. If you're with somebody, open your Bible up wide enough for somebody else to see as we study tonight Joshua chapter number 2. If you remember last week, we saw the transition of Moses, God's man who, who was the law giver. He gave the law to the people. However, God in His sovereignty and in His power and His might decided that Moses will not lead the children of Israel into the promised land. Moses has now laid hands on Joshua and has commissioned him as the new leader. And now Joshua in chapter number 1 is now the leader of the people of Israel after Moses is passing. And Joshua sends, he, he sends the people, he brings the people to him and he says that he will be a leader and the people they, 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 uh, they uh, pledge their allegiance to Joshua. Something probably Moses probably would love that the people said we We'll do whatever you call us to do. We will stay faithful to you. And he even tells them that he will lead them and they, they would adhere to God's law. Now we pick up in chapter number 2 at this point. Joshua will send two spies into the promised land. Now he'll send two young men into the promised land. Notice he doesn't do like before whenever Moses had the 12 spies go into the promised land. When Joshua being one of them, at this point Joshua is a very much an elder statesman who's leading the children of Israel. The only other person who's probably as old as Joshua in this new generation is probably Caleb because these were the two faithful spies now leading the new generation into the promised land. Now Joshua chooses two faithful spies to go in and they only report back to Joshua because now this is a military act. This is something that's going to be taking place as far as military because they're going in to conquer the new land. And now we look in Joshua chapter number 2. And Joshua the son of Nun sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies saying go view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. See here, we see how Joshua sends the two out from the place. Now the first place they have to conquer, of course, as they go into the promised land, is Jericho. Jericho being fortified. If you know anything from your time in Sunday school or time spending in your classes as a child, you know that Jericho was a city of many walls. It was a thick wall. It was not just a place you can just go knock on the door and conquer them. They were a fortified city at this point. And Joshua tells the 
people, tells the two spies to go into this, this promised land, go in there and especially Jericho, that they, they're to view the land. Because if they were to go past Jericho at this point, it, as far as military strategy, it would be foolish to go past Jericho and then be attacked from behind. Now, there was not a, a ruler over the whole promised land. There was city-states. There are basically little cities or towns that were ruled by little kings. Basically, mayors is what they are. But it just so happens that Jericho was a powerful city-state or a powerful little uh, little city. Well, I can't use the word little, really. But Jericho was a powerful place, and that's the first challenge that they'll come across. This new generation, as they go over the, the Jordan, they'll face a, a formidable opponent. They'll have to face a fortified city, and Joshua sends in two spies. Now we see in verse number one that these two spies end up in the bad part of town. They end up at a prostitute's house. They, 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 well, you might say, why in the world would they go there? Well, this place is a place of lodging. Many scholars and theologians try to say that Rahab was not a, a woman of the night, as some people would say. It tried to be politically correct, but that this that she was a, a, an innkeeper. That the travelers would come quite often to Jericho, and they would need a place to lodge, and they'll stay there with Rahab. However, we cannot deny that her name sticks with the broad prostitute, even found in the Hebrews. We'll look later into, into that chapter, chapter 11 later, as well as the genealogy of Jesus Christ himself found in Matthew chapter number 1, that, the, that she was a prostitute, that she was turning tricks, that she was selling her body to get by. And the, it just so happens that the men found themselves there. I don't know how they found themselves there. Maybe they, they came into the cover of looking like the people of the land and they just ended up there. But you'll go to the, the back alleys. You'll go to the dark places of of a town to find out what's the skinny, what's going on in that town, and they find their place there in an unscrupulous in an unscrupulous company that were there finding out what's the deal with Jericho and the land, and they lodged there is what it says in verse number one. And in verse number 2, And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight and searched out the land. The thing about uh, being in a, 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 a shady part of town is that people sell information and some people give it up freely. And word got back to the king that there are two spies in Rahab's abode. So now the, you can see that the, the whole city's up in the clamor. There's a, there's a warning. They're coming to search Rahab and turn in these two spies because word has reached the courts of the king that you can buy any information you want. They ain't nothing private. Even your word searches on your, your internet searches are public by your ISP, internet service provider. That the, You don't have to fear Big Brother watching that even God knows. And let's get to the point here. It's not, don't be afraid that Google knows what you look for. That There are no secrets in a, in a technology world. But even back then in the city of Jericho, there were no secrets secrets there either. Uh, basically like my family says, if you don't want it known, don't tell it. Uh, amen somebody. But here, we see here that Rahab has got these two men lodged there and behold the king, he hears of it and he sends out he sends them out. He sends out and he calls for them. Then the king says in verse number 3 the king of Jericho said to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out the land. 
The king knows why they're there. He's already heard because a little later we'll hear about Rahab explaining to these spies that they've heard about the children of Israel uh, 40 years ago. They heard about the rumors of a mighty work from God and the people that came up out of Egypt. They already heard about the rumors of these people that are now scouting out the land. So the king wants these two men's heads on a platter to stop whatever invasion is coming. But the woman in verse 4, the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, True, the men came to me, but I do not know where they are from. And we see in verse 5, and when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But, verse number 6, she had brought them up to the roof and hidden them with the stalks of flax that had been laid under the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. We see here that, that Rahab actually lies to the king. She actually uh, sends him in a misdirection. Now, you might say, well, wow, and how would God give glory to any woman who would, who would have such a reputation as being a prostitute and then turn around and lie? It's not, isn't it true that God hates liars? Isn't that true? Even Paul tells us in Romans chapter 3 verse 8, do, do, don't do evil for the sake of good that it will be the outcome. Don't do evil things to, for, the, for good to come out. That, and lying is a sin, absolutely. And you might say, you might say it's so simple as black and white preacher, you just don't lie. There was a time when Anne Frank was hidden there in her country and she was hide, being hid by a family of Germans and when they were coming to find the Jews, to exterminate them during the Holocaust, they lied about hiding Anne Frank and her family. Was that a sin? Is that wrong? Well, we can go into a long debate about morality and lying. And let me let me just go ahead and clarify that the world ain't as black and white as you might seem it to be. But we must understand lying is wrong. Don't get me wrong. Don't say, well, preacher said it's all right to lie. It's all right. It's okay. No, that's not what I'm saying at all. For God knows the motives of somebody's heart. Amen. That God understands the motive. Even in Proverbs chapter 6, verse 2, that God sees the motives of people's heart. She told a lie to the king, even though she was in a, a shady profession. That already was a strike against her because she was a lady of the night. She was a sinner by nature. But she lied to protect the people of God. Even in Jeremiah 17, 10, that God searches the heart, seeing motives. That what she was doing was proclaiming that she trusts God against God's enemies. Psalms 44, 21, God knows the hearts of men. The motives behind the whole story. Many times people do the right thing with the wrong motives. Let me go ahead and just say that. Many times people try to do things for God, but their motives are all wrong. Let me get, well, I won't give no examples. Let me, they, they, they might want to know who's, who's got the COVID and who's sick so they can pray for them, but really they want to gossip. 
Mm, okay, okay, I didn't hear no horns blow, but that's all right. That still makes it, it's still true. I want to know what's going on. I want to go to the prayer meeting so I can find out what's going on, just so I can have my prayer circle, I mean my gossip circle, know what's going to keep my thumb on the pulse of the community so I can know what's going on. No, no, no. God searches the hearts. Whenever your preacher says just pray for somebody, go ahead and just pray for them. You don't need to know all the details. Let God handle that business. Amen, Somebody, but preacher, I don't like the way you you're saying this. That don't mean that don't mean it's a lie. Amen. But we see here that God searches the hearts and He knows the motives of man. He sees the motives behind Rahab. And if one thing I know of is that I let God be the judge, not me. That I'm not going to sit back and look at Rahab and say, "Well, she's a prostitute. She's a lady of the night. She's doing. She's dirty. She's nasty. And she's lying." Oh, let's sit back and throw rocks at Rahab. Whenever we have so many sins in our own lives. Why are we so concerned about anybody else's sins? Why do we nitpick anybody else and look and criticize what they are doing while ignoring our own problems and our own issues? Amen. Somebody. So we see here that Rahab lies to the king, but thank God that she does. I'm not going to nitpick and pick on her because Jesus even tells us in the Gospels that to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, it's quicker for the tax collectors and the harlots to get into heaven than them because of their religious ways. As they were ready to stone a prophet, they were ready to stone a woman called in and in the very act of, of adultery, but Jesus showed grace. Let us show grace to one to another and let us read the Gospels and let us read our Scripture tonight even through grace. Even though she lied, let God handle that. I don't need to stand or sit on the seat of judgment at anybody and point my fingers at anybody and cast them down. If I'm going to put somebody down, let me put them on my prayer list. Let me put them down on my prayer list. Amen. No, okay, preacher. All right, now we, we're just getting started. Let's slow down a little bit, a little bit. All right here. Uh, but we see that Rahab had lied to the king. But she goes up quickly after the after the search party has gone out. They shut the gate, and she's at the the roof of her house. For she lived in the wall. Don't forget that she lived in the wall. And she goes up on the top of the house. In verse number six, and there are stalks of flax. Basically, it's like long stems or wheat. It was flax, and they would they would wet them, and they would dry them out on the roof of their houses. And these men were hiding in the stacks of flax. Basically, it's a fibrous type of material that whenever it was dried out, they will use it to create linen. They will use it to create a cloth type texture. And now she was drying it out on top of her house. She's got a side hustle. Not only is she doing other things, but she's selling flax and working it out. But now the men are hid there in the stacks and she comes up to them and now she wants to strike a deal. Hey, well, let's go look at that together. Well, verse number number eight, before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and she said to them, I know that the Lord has given the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and all of the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. Basically, she's laying it out there. She's giving a confession of faith here if you look carefully. She knows that there's a God in heaven. 
In verse number 9, she says, I, I, I know that the Lord has given you this land, that God and His sovereignty. Uh, we got to remember that here in Jericho, they worship the moon goddess. They worship the God of the moon. They might be out at night worshiping the moon in the middle of the night. Not the moon pie. Not, they worship the moon. But here she is making a statement. She's saying that the God of all creation, even the God of the moon, the God of all creation is giving you, giving your people this land. And the, that the fear of you has fallen upon us all. That we heard about you about 40 years ago. And now it's fallen upon us. She still recalls when she heard about the people of Egypt coming out of slavery. The children of Israel coming out of Egypt. And now they're coming into this promised land. And now she says that their hearts, they melted before them. In verse number 10. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water at the Red Sea. That the great exploits of God. What, what will He do for His people? He'll dry up an ocean, let me tell you. He'll even send His own Son to die for people in spite of them. Amen. Here He says, here that Rahab is continuing. She says that this God, and notice the word Lord in verse number 10 is all capitalized. So she here is using the word Lord, which is always also the word Yahweh. Yahweh. Yahweh dried up the water of the Red Sea before you and when you came out of Egypt and what did what, what you did to the two kings of the Amorites beyond the Jordan to Shaho and Og whom you devoted to destruction now these two kings were vital kings they were strong kings they had a stronghold in the land but God here through the power of his might not just using the children of Israel as an instrument but he struck them down to, 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 to lay claim over their kingdom now we see here that God through the power of his might through the work of Moses because this was the kings that Moses and the children of Israel attacked and destroyed. Do you remember back when Balak and, and, and back in uh, Balaam and all of them and all that scuffled whenever that went down? That God was faithful then in that generation and now he's continued to be faithful as now they're looking Jericho dead in the face ready for another battle. But here, here, here she is talking to these two spies. Rahab is looking at them and she's giving a testimony for what God has already done. Uh, already here in Joshua chapter number 2, we can see that the, 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 the word of the Lord has reached into some pagan places. Even Jericho with its thick walls, the word of God had reached there. And she is proclaiming and talking about the power of God and how He's been faithful to the children of Israel. Now she's basically giving a word of testimony. She's basically talking about faith. Because here you'll see the word of her faith. You'll see the words uh, that she'll give, she'll give words to her faith here in a minute. Here in verse number 11. And in verse 11 of Joshua chapter number 2. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted. There was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, He is the God of the heavens alone. And on the earth beneath. Here Rahab, even though she has a shady and checkered background, even though she has been basically uh, just, just committed a sin and lied to the king, even though she ain't perfect, she still knows who's God. 
Even though she's a pagan, even though she ain't all churched and she ain't all wearing a, 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 a church hat and gloves and she don't attend weekly Bible study, she still knows there is a God. And here she says that He is the God in the heavens above and the earth beneath. That as far as high up she could see, past the clouds, past the pretty blue sky, past all the stars, and past all the abyss and anything that you can see, that He is God and He has dominion as high as up to the heavens that He is still God as far down as you can see go to the deepest hole you find on the earth and holler down into that hole it might echo, echo, echo you might throw a penny down there and hear it clean a couple of minutes or an hour later but God is God in the pit He's God on the mountaintop that He's still God and He still reigns that He is God over it all God over all of creation here is what Rahab is saying and she ain't never been to Liberty University she didn't go to Bob Jones. She didn't go to Mount Olive College. And she don't have no theological degree. She can't break it down in Latin. And she don't can't, she can't break it down to maps. And she don't know how long Moses' beard was or none of that stuff. But she knows there is a God who's over all of creation. A God over the heavens and a God over the earth. And that's better theology than some people's God. Because some people live like there is no God. They live like there is no God. They act like there is no God. And they pray like there is no God. God. How do you pray like there ain't no God? Well, you don't pray. Woo! I bet I got a lot of amens if people was in here. That's all right. It's still true. God is God. He's God in the valley. He's God on the mountaintop. He's even God when the mountain is on top of you. Amen, somebody. Amen. We see here that she is giving a testimony. She's giving a word of faith. She's believing that God is in control. Not her moon God that, that her city serves. Not the not any, not Moloch or not Baal, not any other God, but the God of all creation. Not a territory God, but the God of all of creation. She says that he is the God over of the heavens and is God over the earth. Now we continue. That you will, she says here now in verse number 12, now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you will also deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and my mother, my brothers and my sisters and all who belong to them and deliver them, deliver our lives from death. Here we see that we see that Rahab is putting words on her faith and she's putting legs on her prayers, putting legs on her faith. She believed that God is God of the creation and that affected what she does. She struck a deal up with these two spies that are hiding out in her house because she believed that God is God. She believed that God reigned forever. And she actually believed that God gave this land to these people, the Israelites that came out of Egypt. See, she, she's living out her faith. She's doing it. And she don't just say she believes it. She's actually doing something about it. She's living by faith and faith alone. You might say, well, preacher, you say all the time that you don't have to do anything. 
You don't have to go to church. You don't have to read your Bible. You don't have to tithe. You don't, you don't have to volunteer. You don't have to. But when you truly believe that God reigns and He died for sinners, it motivates you. You just can't sit on your hands. You can't sit in a, in a car. You can't sit in a, in a pew. You just can't. You're so animated by grace. Some people are animated by guilt, but we already talked about that back in, earlier in the, in the sermon when we talked about God sees your motive in Proverbs chapter 16 verse number 2 that he looks upon the hearts of men in Jeremiah 17 10 we also see it in Psalms 44 21 God knows the hearts of men and their intentions he knows what you're animated by are you animated by grace or are you animated by guilt which one pulls you which one controls you which one leads you which one holds you we see here that Rahab she might well you might say well she just trying to look out for her own neck. Truly, she had more sense than most people do because in the day of Noah, he preached righteousness and he preached that there would be judgment on the people and he preached for a hundred years and while he was building the ark and people laughed because he was building a boat in the middle of the desert. Today, preachers stand behind their pulpits in front of their cameras and they preach that God will judge men. And people laugh and scoff just like in the days of Noah. They laugh and roll their eyes saying there is no judgment. They live their life to the fullest as much as they want to, living however they want, adhering to their own laws and their own thoughts, being led by their own hearts, ignoring the laws of God. But we see here Rahab sees that there's hope by trusting in God and His statutes and His laws by confessing that He is God over all. And then she strikes a deal to find grace and mercy because she shows grace and mercy. She expects it. The same is true with any Christian. If you've received grace and mercy in your life, from the Lord, Father in heaven, by His Son Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit, then rest assured you'll also show grace to other people in your life. If you've been forgiven, you're going to forgive people. If, you're, if you've been shown mercy, you're going to be showing mercy to other people. Well, they don't deserve mercy, but neither do we. Woo-wee! Stepping on some toes and not even my own. We see here that Rahab is striking a deal she says I dealt kindly with you now deal kindly with me and my father's house that we will save my father and my mother you don't mention she don't mention even though she's a prostitute she don't mention her husband because they ain't no husband quite yet we'll get to that but we see here in verse number 13 that she will save that you will save my father and my mother my brothers and my sisters and all who belong to them and deliver them from death. Now we see the response of the two spies. And the men said to her, Our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Well, now we do read in Deuteronomy that Moses told the children of Israel not to strike deals with people within Canaan land. That this is uh, this almost sounds like it's a, a, a sin that these two spies, but it, 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 this was a family. This is not making a deal with a, a tribe or a whole people. And God is going to spare this family and He'll even bless them because we can see where God used Abraham who was at the top of the food chain in his area. That he was as good 
stood as a king that people followed him. He even had men of war. He was prominent. He was dignified. He was Father Abraham. And God blessed him and helped him. But we see here Rahab is a prostitute that you almost spit on the ground when you say her name, but God used her too. That it don't matter that you're in the penthouse or the outhouse or the crack house. God will bless you and keep you. Amen, somebody. That God is faithful even when we're not. We see here that she strikes a deal. Bless us. Take care of my family, my father's house, my brothers, my mother, my sisters. And they said, if you keep this business between us, we'll deal kindly with you and faithfully with you. Basically, he's saying, don't go and blab this in the street. Because we don't want people to put the sign of redemption in their window that they're being spared, that you have struck a deal with us. She's walking in faith and trusting because she simply heard of the conquering people come out of Egypt. She has faith in God, much like the Gentiles had faith in a conquering God. For we see that many theologians and many scholars say that Rahab was probably the first Gentile convert when she's symbolic of the church. See, we weren't born in the Jewish background. We didn't go to synagogue. We weren't babies risen up reading the Torah. We had to be taught those things and be grafted in. If you were here Sunday, you learned about the wild shoots being grafted into the olive tree. That we are the wild shoots that God has adopted us in. And we see that working out here that God is adopting in Rahab, protecting her because her faith, she's leaning on the faith of God, trusting in His mercy. That's all she's got to go on. She's All she's got is the mercy of God and she leans upon that. She trusts in the work and the mercy of God. She can't fight this battle. She can't stop the hordes that are coming up against Jericho here in a couple of days. She don't have a sword. She's only she's only skilled in the bedroom if you understand what I mean. She doesn't, she don't have a, uh, she doesn't have guerrilla warfare experience. Her brothers and her sisters, they don't know how to line up in ranks. They don't know. Her mama and daddy don't have a clue how to have a strategy to defend a city. So she's simply trusting in God. Much like the Gentile church. For we are not skilled in labor. We're not, we're not noble coming from noble descent. We don't come from a long line of priests. We're not holy in our works and our ways. It's simply us trusting and believing and having faith on what God has said. How there is wrath coming and He will consume this world. But He's showing us lodging and He's showing us grace that we will not be swept away in His wrath. That we're simply trusting by faith alone that God will protect His people and keep them and hold them. We see here. She says, deal kindly with us. Now in verse 16, no, verse 15, then she let them down by rope through the wall for our house was built into the city wall so that she lived in the wall. Now you must realize, I don't know if you watch Veggie Tales and you did the, you did the, the Sunday school lessons as a child or as your teacher probably taught you that all the walls fell in Jericho. In fact, archaeologists have found the city of Jericho and they show that the walls not only fell, they didn't just crumble down, they flew outwards. 
That they didn't get pushed inwards, that they flew outwards. That when the wall fell, and was almost like an imploding, that the walls fell outwards away from the city. That way the children of Israel didn't have to cry, climb over any rubble when they got into the city. But we see here that her home was in the wall. Now it's astonishing to imagine as we haven't got there yet, we'll look at it in the next chapter. Chapter number, chapter number 3 and 4. How Joshua and the children of Israel, how they conquered the city of Israel. And all the walls fell except the wall that held her house. Has that ever dawned on you that all the walls fell? But God kept steady. His hand was upon Rahab and her family that He kept them from the wrath. Even though all around them was crumbling. He held her on a sure foundation. Ooh, that's so good. When things are so uncertain in this life, especially 2020, we got two hurricanes off the coast. We, we've seen pandemics this year. We've seen it all. Even though it might crumble around us, God has got His hand on each household. That God is able to hold us and to keep us just like He kept Rahab. But we ain't got there yet. I don't want to spoil nothing. But we see here in verse 13, she led them down through a rope, through a window, for her house was built on the city wall. So she lived in the wall. And she said to them, Go into the hills, or the pursuers will encounter you, and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterwards you may go your way. Not only does she help them, but she also gives them good advice. The pursuers were going, and she tells them to go to the mountains instead of going to the Jordan. To hide in the mountains, to hide in the, the cleft of the rock. We see here that she had a better survey of the land, telling them to go and hide themselves. In verse 17, the men said to her, We will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie the scarlet cord in the window through which you must let us down. And you will gather into your house your father and your mother, your brothers and all your father's household. Then if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head. And we will be guiltless but if a man, if a hand is laid on anyone who is within you in this house, his blood will be on our head. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath that you have made us swear. Here she, the people, the, the two spies are telling Rahab, if you go and spill the beans, the deal's off. You need to hold up your end of the business. Hold up your end of the covenant. And they say, put, put this scarlet thread in your window. Oh, it's so wonderful that they chose a scarlet thread because it probably adheres, it probably hits personally to the children of Israel because if you remember a generation before this that there was scarlet blood or red blood on the doorpost of each household that trust in God during the Passover when the death angel was walking the city of Egypt taking the firstborn, that the wrath of God was reaping and destroying that economy, the families. He was destroying the firstborn of Egypt at that moment. 
So here these young spies were saying, put this red scarlet in your window that the wrath will pass over you whenever we come to conquer the city. That red banner that flew in her window now flies in each, and each individual heart of God's people now. That the scarlet thread or the scarlet cloth that flew in the window like a banner now flies over the hearts of God's people. It's the blood of Jesus like a flag that He has staked claim over the hearts of men and women and children. That He is God and the wrath of God has now overpassed those people because of their faith in the work of Jesus Christ. It's wonderful that they chose scarlet. It wasn't a gray cloth. It wasn't a dirty brown cloth, but red. Red like the blood of Jesus. Red like the Paschal Lamb. Red like a lamb that was slaughtered on the Passover. Blood covers the offenses of sin. Blood covers God's wrath. God, blood extinguishes the fire that rages against sinners. Only the blood of Jesus. Not your own blood. Not your neighbor's blood, not a, not a sacrifice here on the planet by pigs, goats, and, and donkeys that, that will extinguish the blood, that will extinguish the wrath of God by the blood, but only the blood of Jesus. So we see all through Joshua chapter number 2, the analogies and the illusions of Jesus Christ. For she believes by faith and standing on the promises of God that the wrath will uh, not sweep her away. That she has a scarlet banner in her window signifying that she is covered by grace much like the church today. We see here that they say you keep up your end of the bargain. That you don't tell everybody that we're coming. For now she can be deemed a traitor. She can actually be drugged before the king because she's already lied to the king. She's already brought forth allegations that the, 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 the children of Israel whose spies are hiding in the mountains. She'll be drugged before the king and charged with treason and killed her and her whole household. So she truly is a woman without any nationality. She was willing to give all that up. Uh, are you hearing me? She was willing to give up her luxurious life of sin, living in the wall of Jericho, to go with these nomadic people who are doing nothing but walking in the promises of God. She's willing to do all that, but she, what she does is she gathers her household. She goes gets her daddy and them, her, her brother, Junebug and Willie and all them, and Baba and Boo Boo. And he gets everybody and brings them into the she brings them into the house with her safety. She does more than most, most Christians do. And I ain't talking about get them to the church. I'm talking about get them to Jesus. People, people want to bring people to church. That's fine. That's good. But get them to Jesus. Get them to Christ, their Savior. The one who will redeem them and rescue them. She wants to bring her family into safety. There's people in our congregation and other congregations who have no care for the parishing. We sing a hymnal here at Riverside. Bringing in the parish. Bringing in the sheaves. Bringing it in. Bringing them in where their safety and mercy found. Here, to hear the good news of the gospel. She puts legs on her concerns. She don't sit back and say, I wish somebody would do something. I wish somebody would help me or help my loved ones. She, she goes and gets them and brings them in the house and shuts the door and waits, and waits until the wrath is over. What about you, believer? Do you do that? 
Do you, do you adhere to God's laws and statutes? Do you actually believe there's a, a wrath for those who are dying in sin? Or are you unconcerned? If you're unconcerned, you're probably not even a Christian anyway. If you're unconcerned for the laws, you're probably not even a Christian. You're just an imposter. But he or she's concerned for her household, her, her mama and her daddy, her brothers and sisters, and she brings them in to safety. In verse number 22. No, verse 21, I don't want you to miss this part. She tied the scarlet cord in her window. She didn't put it off. She didn't wait till later. Just like if you're here tonight, don't put it off. Repentance, don't put it off. Don't, don't wait till tomorrow. Don't wait till your favorite TV show goes off tonight. That way you can lust tonight or you can laugh at filthy jokes. Don't wait. Don't wait till tomorrow. So, but tomorrow may not come. You're not promised 10 minutes, 10 months, or 10 weeks. If anything, you're one breath away from eternity. You can walk into eternity tonight. This time next week, I could be preaching your funeral. But she goes ahead and she puts the scarlet cord in the window. They didn't even have time to get back to the camp yet. But she goes ahead and ties it in her window. Verse 22. And they departed and went into the hills and remained there three days until the pursuers returned. And the pursuers searched all along the way and found nothing. Because Rahab was faithful to them. At hearing and believing the words of God. Believing that He is God and He is sovereign. In verse 23. Then the two men returned. They came down from the hills and passed over. And came to Joshua the son of Nun. And they told him all that had happened to them. And they said to Joshua, Truly the Lord has given all the land into our hands. And also all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. We see in verse 24, they didn't go back to Joshua and say, there's some big walls, Joshua. They are big walls. They're about seven or eight foot thick. They're high fortified. They're, 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 these, these fortified cities like Jericho, they're, they're mighty and they have enough provisions to hold us off for as many months. That there's no hope. We've been in the city. No, they come back to Joshua. And they don't even mention the walls. You know what they mentioned to Joshua? They, they, they say to people, they've heard about us coming. They, they heard about us a long time ago. They probably wonder what took so long to get here. That's the thing. Sometimes it takes us a little while to get where we're going. But God is still walking with us. Amen. We might walk a little slower. We might even do a couple of laps around the same mountain. But God is still faithful to His people. They go back to Joshua and they say they, 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 their hearts are melting. They're afraid of us. Can you believe it, Joshua? They're afraid of us. We're the, the first generation, second generation slaves from Egypt. We, we don't even know how to hold a spear properly. But Joshua, you must know it's not us who will be fighting the battle. It's the Lord. Come on, somebody. It, it ain't going to be us. It ain't us. We don't need to take archery class. And we don't need to make a, a, a cocktail and a, with a, 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 a fuse on the end to throw it at something to explode. We don't need to take up arms. Our God will fight for us. These two faithful spies didn't do like the other ten a generation earlier. Even though they saw the fat of the land and how grand and wonderful it was, they came back and gave a bad report. 
Because they thought they had to fight themselves. They thought they had to take up arms. They're just fresh out of Egypt. Some of them still have the scars on their back whenever the whips would lash them like scorpions. And they thought that they would have to fight against the inhabitants of the land. But here this next generation knows that the same God who split the Red Sea, the same God who rained down quail for them to eat, the same God who gave them manna, the same God who called the rock to bleed out water for them to drink to quench their thirst is the same God who will defend them and hold them. Woo! Amen. Amen. In verse 24, they said to Joshua, Truly, the Lord has given us all the land into our hands. God has not held anything back. He's given it all to us. Now we can say the same for us, but our hope and redemption is not tied to a land as the church of Jesus Christ. It's tied to a man. Amen. The land was wonderful. A land flowing with milk and honey. But what's that going to do for me on my job? What's that going to do for me in my household? How to raise my children and how to go about my life? A land of milk and honey ain't going to do nothing for me. I need something more than milk and honey. I need grace and I need mercy. I need forgiveness. I need a shedding of blood to cover my sins. I, I need a substitute in the face of wrath of God. I need forgiveness. And His name is Jesus. Amen. For we're a better covenant. We, we have a better promise than uh, a rolling hills with olive trees. We have a better promise that He says in Hebrews chapter 13 verse 5, I'll never leave you or forsake you. Amen. That's, that's a better promise. For Moses is dead. Abraham is dead. Isaac and Jacob, they dead. But my Jesus, amen. Now my Jesus is alive. For I spoke with him just a few moments ago. All the inhabitants in verse number 24, they melt. They melt away because of us. We see here that by faith, by faith, Rahab trusted in the work of God. A despicable person like Rahab, you would think, why in the world would God use her? Well, she actually made the Hall of Fame of Faith. If you would, grab your Bible. Turn to Hebrews chapter number 11. Hebrews chapter number 11. Let us read together as we get ready to wind this thing up. I just want to hit a couple of high points that you'll see that she walked by faith. She wasn't well known. Well, she was known in the streets, I would say. She was a prostitute. Everybody knew her reputation and where she came from. And she wore that stigma. But let me go ahead and tell you, even though she did those things, she was not cast out of the kingdom. And even though she had a bad reputation, the reputation of Jesus preceded her and swallowed up her sins. Amen. And even though she had been known to be loosey-goosey, still Jesus tightened her up and saved her. How do you know? Well, we look at Hebrews chapter number 11. If you'll turn to chapter number 11, verse number 30. This is the hall of fame of faith. Paul is writing here and he's talking about by faith what some people did. And we see in verse 23 that Moses by faith. And we see a lot of other things. But here they mention the walls of Jericho in verse 30. By faith, 
The walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. I didn't mean to spoil anything, but that's what happened. But we look in verse 31. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. We see here she did it by faith. For she heard and she didn't even see the things that God did. She only heard about it. Maybe tonight you're like Rahab. You ain't, you ain't never seen grace. Certainly not in your lifetime and in your life. You have never seen mercy. You ain't never seen forgiveness. You only heard about it. Maybe this is the first time you heard about it. Put legs on your faith and trust Jesus. She simply trusted God by faith, believing that God would spare her and her family. And now she goes down into the hall, uh, the, 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 the legendary hall of faith. Here she believed by faith. But not only that, our final point tonight, if you would turn over in your Bible to the left, just a little bit, to the gospel according to Matthew chapter number 1. Gospel of Matthew chapter number 1. Turn to the left. Matthew chapter number 1. We're going to look at some genealogy. Genealogy is your family tree. You, a lot of people don't want to know where they came from. Some people don't even know. and they, They're happier by not even knowing. And some people know where they came from. But we see here, maybe tonight you, your family's messed up. You put the fun in dysfunctional. You, you got a lot of complicated issues and situations in your family. I, believe me, I understand. But God understands even more. Because we see here in Matthew chapter number 1, and Salmon, the father of Boaz. Y'all remember Boaz? Boaz, the kinsman redeemer. You don't know who that is? Well, we'll study that. Just hang on a little bit. Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab. And Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth. And Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of David, the king. We see here that in the bloodline of King David comes Rahab. That it don't matter where you came from or who you related to or what they did. God is still able. Somebody didn't hear me tonight. God is still able. Amen. Even though she, she came from a, a shady, dark background, God was able to hold on to her and keep her. And she believed by faith, trusting what God can do and what God did do. In Hebrews chapter number 11, she trusted by faith. And now she's found into the genealogy of Matthew chapter number 1. But it only ends there. We see that she's related to, she's the grandma of King David. But that is, that's not all you don't see here. She's in the direct bloodline of Jesus. Jesus comes from a messed up family just like you do. Or did. Jesus is our great high priest. See, God could have simply skipped over this part and not graft her in because she didn't fit a certain pedigree. She's not in a certain tax bracket or a certain skin color, but nationality or what she did for an occupation, all that is swept away under the grace of God. That God forgives sinners. 
That she was a woman with no land because she betrayed Jericho. But now she's grafted in to the family of Christ. So it ain't really black lives matter. It ain't really uh, it ain't really white lives matter. It ain't really Puerto Rican, Mexican, and all the cans. It ain't. It don't have nothing to do with any of that. It's all about the family of God. For even Paul said that Jesus tore down the separating wall between Jew and Gentile. There's no longer slave or free. There's no longer rich or poor. There's no longer separation. There's no caste system in Christianity. There's only one king and everybody else. We see here that the, there's room and in the room of God's throne room of grace for the prostitute, the liar, the murderer, the kings, the princes, the pauper. No matter who you are, the bum, the crackhead, the, 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 the porn addict, the, the liar, the thief. There's room at the cross for everybody and anybody. If you were here a couple Sundays ago, you heard your preacher said, whoever confesses with their mouth, Believe in their heart that Jesus saves, will be saved. Whoever you are, you're listening right now, whoever you are, Jesus forgives sinners. Whatever you've done, Jesus forgives. No matter how, how long you've carried that grudge, Jesus can give you the strength to forgive. No matter how deeply wounded you are, Jesus is able to heal no matter how shattered you are, Jesus is able to pull you together. And if He don't pull you together, still praise Him in your lip. Still praise Him and give Him glory if He doesn't decide to heal you right now. Even Paul, even though he had a thorn in the flesh, God spoke to Paul and said, My grace is sufficient. In your weakness, in your weakness I will receive glory. So Lord, even if You don't heal my ailments, give me strength to bear each day. Touch my mind and my heart. Hold me for the Lord. I'm trusting in You by faith. Believing in Your promises and Your words. My hope is not found at a Republican National Convention. My hope is not found in my hidden 38 special in my kitchen. My, my hope is not found in my 9mm. And my hope is not found in my bomb shelter in the backyard. My hope is not found in $100 bills stuffed in my mattress. And believe me, there ain't no $100 bills in my mattress. You can come look. But our hope is not found on nothing less but in Jesus Christ and His righteousness. Simply clinging to Him and Him alone. Trusting in His words that He'll show mercy towards me as a sinner. So I simply come as I am. Not waiting to clean up my life. Not waiting to get right. Not waiting to go home and clean out my refrigerator. As I am, Lord, here I am. Take me as I am. Smelling like smoke. Maybe I hang over however I come, Lord. Will you take me as I am? And let me assure you, by no means will He cast you out. Amen. You might say, well, I'm a big old sinner. I'm a big sinner. Well, Charles Spurgeon, one of my favorite preachers back in the 18th century said, if the, if the, if the elephant can get through the door of the ark, you can be assured that the snail was able to get through. That Jesus saves big old sinners. You know why He saves big old sinners? Because He's a bigger Savior. There are no stretch marks on grace. Jesus forgives sinners. No strings attached. Simply repent of your sins and trust in Christ. Ooh, amen preacher. You preaching tonight. 